podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome, folks, to uh, the latest edition of the Wisdom Podcast. Uh, we've been just been debating here in the office actually whether to call it the Wisdom weekly podcast. Do we back ourselves to do one every seven days? Uh, There's a bit of conjecture, but for me, I'm going to go with it. We're going to call it the Wisdom Weekly Podcast. We're going to roll them out every seven days from here on in. And this is the revamped, reworked, restyled Wisdom Weekly Podcast. My name is Phil Walker. I'm the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, and I'm joined on the typically balmy afternoon at the Oval, uh, the weather sets, is set fair, 12 months of the year in this particular part of London. And I'm joined as ever uh, by a couple of hit young gunslingers, Ben Gardner, Benedict Gardner, one of your own, and Yaz Rana. Ben Gardner, staff writer uh, at Wisdom, of course, and Yaz Rana uh, recently joined the stable as well, uh, two fine young, young figures. And uh, it's been another kind of up and down kind of week in cricket. Um, drama, controversy, um, uh, an ongoing investigation, which, which we'll come to later on, a blockathon in Dubai, uh, and a hell of a lot of rain in Sri Lanka. Ben Gardner, what's your moment of the week? Uh, yeah, so it was from last night, uh, because I don't have a very long memory, England were playing Sri Lanka, chasing not very much, so there wasn't much interesting to follow, but Ben Stokes came in and first ball played probably the best shot cricket has ever seen, sort of a... Uh, <laughs> Just it was a sort of it was maybe a push if you're being very generous, but really it was just a block straight, not straight, just through mid on. Before it was it was incredible. It was sort of like a, a left-handed Damien Martin. It's a shot he used to play quite a lot in the ODI team. He just kind of block it through the offside, like 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 he just sort of thought a bit more about a forward defence or something, and it would yeah scream away. And it's 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 really good for him, I think, to have just looks back in form and looks like the player at the Ben we all know and love. Yeah, of course, not out at the end alongside Skipper Morgan as well, of course. Um, I was in the pub last night. Uh, uh, as soon as you joined us, you were kind of diligently blogging uh, the ODI last night. First thing I said to you, did you see it? Did you see that Stokes shot? Um, if you haven't seen it, folks, you've got to get it, got to get a hold of it. He has blocked it straight to the boundary, straight past mid on. Um, he does everything tough. Ben Stokes, he throws his hands hard at everything. Insert your jokes there if you have to. Um, even leaves the ball aggressively. Um, and as you say, his game looks in good order, I think. As we were talking the other day, it'd be interesting to see where he fits into this test team if he does move up the order. Um, technically, of course, he's very highly regarded. Atherton said um, after Joe Root that Stokes is the most technically proficient player in the side. So it'd be interesting if he does end up moving up that order. I think I, I personally love that shot as well. It's good to see Stokes at his best. Um, and as good as Stokes is, and we, we all agree, Ben Stokes is a phenomenal cricket player, um, fan, fantastic technician with a bat, something that often goes missed. Um, he did have a not the most fluent summer with the bat. Um, he adapted the conditions, the tough series against India very well. Um, we probably didn't see him at his fluent best. So actually... It was really encouraging to see him back like that and uh, in the way that we know he can. Yeah, he was in court between, between st- two stalls, I thought, last mm. summer, um, trying to play the sensible, responsible role and still retain a degree of that kind of carefree, liberated approach that he, he brought to the side when he was a younger, younger player. Can't overestimate uh, the, the traumas of last summer as well off the pitch. And with that cleared away, it'll be a fascinating few months to see how he goes, I think. You know my feelings on Stokes. <laughs> you know my feelings. Um, yeah, it's your moment of the week. 
Um, without a doubt, it's got to be the last day of the Pakistan-Australia test match in Dubai. Um, it was a massive week for Wisden, actually. Um, Adam Collins, our Australian correspondent, secured the right to broadcast the radio coverage of the test match. Um, phenomenal effort for guys and machine. Um, and on day four of the test match, to be honest, it was uh, meandering to a pretty dull finish. It looked like Australia would get skittered out quite quickly in the fourth innings. Pakistan would win quite comfortably. Um, but Usman Khawaja put in one of the great test match innings knocks in Asia. A man who never scored 26 in Asia before mm. this week. Um, you know, answers his doubters in, in fine style. And alongside Tim Payne in his first full test match series as Australian captain, mm-hmm. the 46th test match captain of Australia, as Adam Collins has said about 100 times in commentary. Um, and you've listened to pretty much every minute of pretty this. Pretty much every minute it's of Adam the series. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Yeah. Uh, 21 hours apiece they put in in that <laughs> yeah. first test match. They've been phenomenal and I thought it was uh, they got the fitting end that they deserved really in that first test match. They're getting stuffed in the second though. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> how, question about it. How much did you sort of get drawn into that sort of emotionally because you were sort of up at 7am every morning doing the doing the tweets for it. Did you find Someone's yourself a bit, well, yeah. Unfortunately, did you find yourself uh, getting a bit emotional at the end as it was getting close to the close to the finish? It was genuinely really, really exciting. Like um, uh, as, as a lifelong England fan, I never want Australia to do well. But probably the first time in my life, I was genuinely urging the Australians to get it at the end. Um, it's just the the Tim Payne story is amazing in itself. Um, a year ago, not even keeping for a stateside, and now there he is on day five of a Test match as his as his country's captain. Uh, batting, saving your side from defeat. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with the Tim Payne thing a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously an amazing effort. I feel like people tie it a bit too much into this new era of Australian cricket. Like all they did was lock a bit. It doesn't show that they're they're great. They're great blokes, whatever. It's it's a bit strange how people saying like, oh, isn't it amazing that that they wanted to win the game when they drew it or something? It's like in in the most recent Wisden Cricket Monthly that went to print yesterday evening, which is why I'm asking the questions because I don't really know what's happened the last few days. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Lou's written a typically uh, brilliant, incisive and cheeky and provocative piece about the new Australian culture in inverted commas. And he talks about the idea of character and how uh, it's not some analogy for, for brilliance. Uh, if you score 100, it's not because you're demonstrating great character. It's generally because you're pretty good at scoring hundreds. And the thing with Tim Payne, is this some great sudden expression of of leadership, power and character? Uh, or is it just that the bloke got his head down and blocked out some, some decent but not world, world-class world spinners on a on a, a pretty dead last day pitch? Even if it is just that, I think that's a story uh, worth telling and getting really into. Tim Payne, I think, has still only scored one first-class 100 and that was in 2006. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we've got a guy here who... Uh, he, he's, he's in his 30s, he's had a long cricketing career where he's not demonstrated that he's got that ability with a bat at the highest level I think even that in itself is something uh, to be to be interested in and I think again Usman Khawaja um, I don't think we should underestimate what he did there if that was Alistair Cook who batted five sessions on a day one pitch in the UAE mm-hmm. we'd be writing uh, articles after articles about the man and I think to do that after criticism he has, he's had about his technique against spin bowling um, is, is pretty phenom- phenomenal in its own right so, Phil, your moment of the week, please. <laughs> well, it's, it has to be when uh, the ICC's uh, press release dropped into uh, the, the cricket world's inbox uh, about Sanath Jayasuriya, um, charged with two counts uh, uh, 
and we have to tread carefully in the wording here, of course. Uh, two counts relating to um, failure or refusal without compelling justification, as it says in the press release, to cooperate with an investigation carried out by the ACU, the, the anti-corruption unit, um, and a second charge of, of obstructing or delaying any investigation that may be carry, carried out, um, including concealing, tampering with or destroying any documentation or any other information. This is, this is a huge moment for cricket, uh, potentially, and I add that word, because you never quite know, and and big things can often fall away into little things in this hateful, awful story. Uh, and we don't know the, the ins and outs of the Jaisaria story whatsoever. He has 14 days to reply um, from the time when the press release dropped, which was on Monday morning of this week. Uh, and we will see. We will see what, what happens from this. But um, what we do know is that Sanath Jaisaria is an icon of Sri Lankan cricket. We know that Sanath Jaisaria has held every position available in Sri Lankan cricket and that he was chairman of selectors uh, during the time frame where the ICC has uh, issued this, um, this investigation or prompted this initial investigation. Um, after that, it becomes murky, it becomes uh, uncomfortable, uh, but... As Nasser Hussain, who is predictably brilliant on stuff like this and who does righteousness better than anyone else in cricket, said straight away, uh, within hours of the press release breaking, he said, he said this is just the tip of the iceberg and that there are other names that he senses will come out. And he, he put it so well, in a funny sort of way, he said, I'm pleased that it's come out now. And he said he's been in commentary boxes with Sri Lankan current players, ex-players, and that the rumours have been widespread. It'll be fascinating in a morbid kind of way how it's going to play out over the next few weeks. Um, I hope that finally this issue is dealt with um, and we get a degree of clarity, a uh, kind of a glasnost approach, if you like, to this awful issue. By way of, of uh, funny, funny timing, almost as an aside, but Danish Canaria, you know, yeah. the, the once brilliant leggy, Pakistani leggy, quickest to 200 wickets or one of the quickest to 200 wickets. Uh, Tess Wickett's brilliant bowler for Essex and Pakistan and so on. I used to watch him at Chelmsford. Um, finally, six years on, six years on from being essentially caught red-handed, uh, manipulating a, a like a 40-over game, Essex and someone else. But of course, uh, Mervyn Westfield did time as a consequence, um, all for six grand in cash. And Canaria denied it, denied it, denied it. Well, finally, uh, he's held his hands up six years on. He said he can't keep living this lie. He was very much the Salmon Buck figure in that instance, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, uh, indeed. You know, and, and there's any number of names that we could we could drag into this. Um, I'm just going to leave it there, but it's going to be morbidly fascinating, I think, over the next few weeks. I think it's worth saying, well, I'm not sure you made the point that this isn't a historical, this doesn't relate to like, a historical thing from when he was a player. It's from... This is from his tenure as the chairman of selectors. Yeah, refusing to hand over a phone, is that what's been discussed? It's not been clarified by the, by the ICC, and they're not talking... Uh, on the record any more about it um, pending uh, the 14-day right to reply, right to respond that Jayasuri has been offered. Um, we could speculate about exactly what it's about, but it's not necessary at this stage. But it's, as you rightly say, it's about his period of time as chairman of selectors.
let's do our little England segment. Um, three, three ODIs in, two results, uh, lots of rain, lots of truncated cricket matches, but England have been dominant, as indeed they appear to be everywhere they go in one-day cricket. Uh, one or two standouts, of course, Owen Morgan's batting brilliantly. It's feast or famine with him, uh, and at the minute he's sitting at his own banquet. He's batting superbly. Uh, ben Gardner, why, is, why are people getting too excited about Ollie Stone? Well, I mean, he, he, he could be brilliant. But at the moment, he has bowled one good bouncer, essentially. But, but I think that's pretty harsh. I think his four-over spell in the in the in the first ODI was was more than one good bouncer. He beat the bat on several occasions, um, and he and he's got, if not frightening pace, he's got more pace than most bowlers in English cricket, and also get crucially gets a lot of bounce as well. Yeah, that's true. I think the thing is, I, 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 he could be brilliant. He, he did bowl very well. I think people saying he could be a, a bolter for the for the World Cup squad and not not the squad maybe that's fair enough but for the first 11 ahead of a, a Mark Wood or a Liam Plunkett who have proven it time and again especially Liam Plunkett is, he's just getting married but he's been <laughs> he's, he's been brilliant for England for, <laughs> since the yeah. 2015 World Cup and Ollie Stone should be kind of well down the pecking order right what's here. his marriage got to do with well I mean he I missed mean, the first three ODIs because he got married right okay yeah so he, he shouldn't he shouldn't miss out just because he's a just because he's a romantic <laughs> he initially planned the wedding because the test series was planned for now. Right. And he saw it as like, oh, I'm not going to be in the test squad. Um, but then they got rearranged, swapped over. So he had to miss the first three ODIs. Two and, and did they swap it around because this is currently the monsoon season and they'd rather have uh, the rain move away for the test than the one day? Or what? Why did they swap it around? Well, I'm not sure the exact reason for the, for the swap, but the ECB have come out this week in defence of the scheduling, basically citing there are so many cricket boards trying to play so much cricket uh, all year long that occasionally you're going to have series uh, times that you don't really want to play cricket in. Um, going going back on the bowlers, I agree with you. I think Chris Wokes and Liam Plunkett as two of the three seamers spots are set in stone for the World Cup bar injury. They've been quality for England for, for two years now. Uh, Chris Wokes' record with both the bat and the ball has just been phenomenal in the last yeah. uh, few years. I think only Rabada, uh, Junaid Card. Rashid Khan have a better dot ball percentage in ODI cricket than right? than Chris Wokes in the last two years. He averages something like twenty three of the ball. He's been phenomenal. Plunkett's been a player as well. Oh, really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, Plunkett's been a wicket taker in the middle overs. Um, so I think they're set in stone. And I actually think if we're looking from a seam bowling perspective this series, Tom Curran's performance in the twenty one over game um, yesterday was was eye catching. Just because I think he he offers something that genuinely England don't really have elsewhere. Like his bag of tricks. His variation to death is something that England probably don't have in any other bowler. So I think he's the one who's really stood out in him. OK, we spoke a little bit earlier about Australia's uh, ups and downs against Pakistan. Um, but what of Pakistan themselves? Uh, you know, they are difficult to break down in, in the UAE. Uh, of course, Mizpah took them to number one in the world pretty much on the back of their form in the UAE uh, a couple of years back. Um, remarkable really that they couldn't knock Australia over in 140 odd overs in Dubai but uh, barring another miracle escape they will lose this one uh, we are three days into the second test and final test of the series um, Mohamed Abbas uh, class as ever um, runs from a number of their players Babar Azam today of course finished one run shy of what would have been his maiden test hundred um, you, Ayaz you've watched far too much of this series listened listened uh, to a hell of a lot of this series, uh, thanks to Messrs. Collins and Lemon. Um, talk me through it. Who's, who's really stood out for you uh, from Pakistan? Well, some of the obvious names that you mentioned. Um, 
Mohamed Abbas has been outstanding with the ball. He's the second fastest Pakistani test player to get to 50 test match wickets. Um, I think it's commendable that a guy who bowls about 80 miles per hour can do can be so effective yeah. on pretty dead pitches, to be honest. Um, another one who stuck out is uh, Bilal Asif on debut. He's an interesting cricketer. He's kind of come from nowhere. Um, spinner in his mid-30s. Yeah, spinner in his mid-30s. He's um, not His, his first-class record isn't particularly extraordinary, um, but he got six for 36 on debut, so you can't really argue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not just the bowling as well. Fakir Zaman on test debut, uh, he's an interesting one. Ben, you wrote a little piece on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think that he... The bit that impressed me, so he, he kind of raced away to begin with, and then... Pakistan lost four wickets for none to Nathan Lyon, and then he uh, looked like he was going to sort of counter-attack. And then after lunch, Safraz Ahmed, uh, who I think we should talk a bit more about as well, um, he was scoring really quickly, and back of the man just kind of went back into a shell. He kind of thought he'd match his captain stroke for stroke. That's how he's got into the team on his white ball cricket. He's got a double hundred in ODI cricket. And he made, made a hundred here, of course, in the final of the 2017 Champs Trophy against India. Uh, proper freewheeling, you know, run a ball effort. Dropped a couple of times, bowled off a no ball, this, that and the other, but was also unstoppable as well when it was in the slot. Got a lot of talent. Yeah, but none of it screams test match opener. And this really required a kind of gritty knock and he'd scored his last 40 runs, came off like, what, 110 balls or something. He has averaged 50 or something in the last couple of years of first class cricket. So he's he's kind of shown he can do it. But at the top level, when you've made your name on ODO cricket, it takes, mm. it takes a, a, a lot of character to put aside what's been successful for you. In international cricket and do it a different way and I think he hasn't he's not he's not proven he's going to be a great test match cricketer yet at all but he's shown he's going to work really they hard are, to they get. are trying to find uh, a new kind of top order identity aren't they obviously you know having lost Eunice and, and Misbah uh, in short space of time uh, that's where their runs came from for a number of years um, Baba Azam who as we said earlier just finished one run shy of what would have been his maiden test hundred uh, he's made a, a lot of runs already in the one day, as of course. Um, that was frustrating for me because I think he's a fine young player. I think he's a brilliant young player, actually. And and um, and Ben, you're going to disagree with me on this, no doubt, because you're you, you're interested in stats rather than artistry. It's one of your your, your great failings in life, I find. Um, and and Baba, as I say, uh, I think he's made eight eight ODI hundreds, but you'll tell me that they're not against particularly good sides. Blah 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 blah. blah. All I would say, all I would say. Um, that 60-odd he made at Lord's uh, in the test, test uh, earlier this summer uh, was pure class. Uh, and I also saw him make 29 at Lord's as a child, basically, batting three, which is what they do in Pakistan. They throw you at the top of the order as a kid. And he played a back foot punch uh, against Mark Wood, who just cleaned up Sharjeel Khan. Uh, and Wood was bowling fast, real fast. And Baba walked in at three, and it was overcast. September time, and he played a back foot punch that I will never ever forget. Right, so I, you can you can take your stats and you can do with them as you please. The boy is class. He's just turned twenty four. He's going to become a serious player. You need more than a good cover drive and a good back foot push yeah, to be a you, test you probably, match player. You probably need and to average over fifty in ODIs. Well, so looking uh, actually, actually, useful, funny you said it? that. So, uh, Barbara Azam very impressively has eight ODI tests. Uh, eight ODI centuries well, I'm, I'm glad, 51 I'm sure he's games. glad to hear that you're impressed with that. And I am very <laughs> impressed. But seven of them, uh, with a great respect, are against uh, some of the lesser teams in ODI cricket. Sri Lanka, West Indies and Zimbabwe. He has one 
uh, century against all the other nations from 31 matches. Yeah, so he's he, been he only averages like 58 against Australia in ODIs, doesn't he? But he doesn't, average, he doesn't average above 35 against anyone else. I'm not saying he's a bad player, don't get me wrong. I think he's also less so he's, he's, he's very young he's as well. prolific against at least half of the teams that he's played <laughs> so far in his 50-odd games, age 23. I, I think he will be a brilliant ODI player. I don't think that that necessarily means he'll be a brilliant test player. And the thing is... is there's a small sample size in Tess. He's played 15, uh, but the, it continues when you look at his list A and first class records. You've just got to look at the, the, the he, player. He averages Stop up, looking at the he numbers, averages look up, at the player. Okay, well, I'll get into the, the technical stuff in a second, but just oh, the, to, the raw number is he averages, he averages over 15 in this A cricket and still 35 in first class cricket, 200s from 40 games, which is not that good. Um, but the thing is, and Ben Jones has written an article about this today, he's an analyst at CrickVids. The issue that Babarazam has in Test cricket is against full balls which swing away, and you don't face a lot of those in ODI cricket with a new ball, um, but you do in, in Test cricket. You have, you have to be able to keep those out, and he averages yeah. under ten he's, against, he's against those. He's unique, isn't he? In in having a slight weakness against the, the late swinging ball just outside but of it's not, in it's the early just, part of his test Do you career. not think that the way you're talking about him... off before. The way you're talking about him is is quite similar to how a lot of people will talk about James Vince. So a lot, of people, James Vince. But a lot of people in county cricket will say the best batsman in the country outside the England test team is James Vince. That guy just looks class. Sure, sure. But he's, he's, but he's the bracket, the brackets have to be... The kid's already made eight international hundreds from about 50 games. You know, we have to do add, add that in, really. Yeah, James, no, James, James yeah. Vince, um, who, as you know, I have a desperate love-hate relationship with and I can't figure it out and he haunts my dreams. Uh, but with, with, with Baba, he's already delivered, okay? And he's, and he's been playing Test cricket for five minutes. Uh, and, and, he, and he's 24 years old. But anyway, we don't want to turn this into the Baba <laughs> show. We, we can leave that. We can leave that alone. Uh, I'll be proved right in time and then we can discuss it down the line. I look forward to it. The next week in cricket then, folks, uh, what have we got to look forward to? Yeah, it's Rana. Um, so something people are mentioning on commentary quite a lot in the Pakistan-Australia series is there aren't many fans there. Um, some good news, though. Uh, Australia are playing the UAE in a T20 international on Monday. Uh, this was only announced a couple of days ago. This was already in the schedule, um, but as a warm-up for the 2020 series between Pakistan-Australia, but that's been upgraded to full 2020 international status. What's it, what I find interesting about it is that it's being played on a what is essentially a practice pitch and it's not being shown on TV and it's not even being streamed online due to pre-existing agreements between boards. And yet so, it's, it's an official yeah, ICC sanction. So it will be the least official feeling international probably ever played. That is until next year when all T20s play between national sides from men's including Germany and whoever you'd like will become official 2020 internationals. Well, we've got that to look forward to, I guess. Yeah. What's happening next week, Ben? England women are flying to the Caribbean as they, they're trying to add the World T20 crown to the uh, World Cup crown they already own. Um, three uncapped players in the squad mm-hmm. all come through the KSL, which is good for that competition at least. Uh, Lindsay Smith, Kirsty Gordon, Sophia Dunkler. I think the, the most interesting one of those really is uh, Kirsty Gordon. He played for Scotland until last year and is really, she's Scotland through and through. Um, but she's couldn't play Scotland in the World T20 qualifiers because of wanting to play in the KSL. And now she's done well there, and she can't play for Scotland altogether because she's been selected for England. It's a different, it's a difficult dilemma that I don't have a solution to. So, um, but so, hold on, she she was forbidden from playing in the KSL 
because she would be deemed to be an overseas player. I think that's what was kind of understood by various people. So Raph Nicholson, who knows more about women's yeah. cricket than anyone else in the world, that's what that's, that, that's what she told me. So it's on her if it's if it's incorrect. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that's, that seems like the obvious way to, to solve that problem. First of all, I mean personally, I, I wouldn't want uh, you know a talented young young cricketer to be unable to fulfil their. Uh, their potential, their dreams, and so on and so on on a world stage. Well, that's the thing. They uh, it is impossible at the moment for a country like Scotland uh, for their most talented players to earn a full time professional living, at least in the women's game. Mm-hmm. So, so I had no one in. So we talked to Scottish cricket about this, and they gave a very positive statement, fully backing her decision to play for England. They want their players to play at the highest possible level mm-hmm. and show how good they are. And they see it as a good thing that they produce a player of this quality who's genuinely come through the Scottish system. Um, but this is just going to happen, and you do worry for the long-term future of associate female cricket when the players just can't um, have a living, make a living through playing, being a professional cricketer. They have to go elsewhere to look for opportunities. Yeah, and the thing is, the, the WBBL do it really well. They have a, a, a associate rookie spot in each of their squads, so players like Ravini Ur from PNG have been able to go and learn from the likes of Catherine Brunt, and it's it's been brilliant for their development. Like when, when I've talked to them about it, they've always been talk so highly of their experience mm-hmm. in Australia and it's the exact opposite in the KSL. If someone like Kim Garth could come and play for, for Loughborough Lightning, she would she would develop so much quicker and Ireland could be a real force. And the mm-hmm. same with the Bryce sisters of Scotland as non-overseas players. Uh, but at the moment, they, they can't do that and it's a, it's, it's a real shame, I think. Yeah, well, one thing you can say for sure is that they've got a lot of talent in that team. Um, uh, Sophie Eccleston as well, you mentioned they've got a million left-arm spinners. Uh, she's, the, she's the star. Uh, of, of this this new era, the Hellenite era, and she picked up the Player of the Year award at the PCA Awards a couple of weeks ago. Um, she was one of our cover stars. Here's, here's your segue. Here's your link into the the upcoming issue of Wisden Cricket Monthly, which we went to sent to print last night, um, and then hot footed it to the pub straight away. Uh, she's one of five cover stars um, with Sophia, Sophia Dunkley, as you mentioned. Um, Amy Jones is in there as well. Catherine Brunt um, and the star of the show is Danny Wyatt. Um, we got the, the girls uh, to do a photo shoot for us at Lords a couple of weeks ago. Um, Joe Harmon's done a typically brilliant piece with with Danny Wyatt. They are a cracking bunch of characters. They really are. Catherine Brunt, she's thirty two. She's meant to be the kind of the, the guiding star, the, the veteran, and a good influence on the impressionable young kids. Well. It's not what I saw, to say the least. Hope you're listening, Catherine. Uh, you know I'm your biggest fan. Um, but yeah, they are on the cusp of doing something pretty spectacular here. Of course, they they took that World Cup last summer um, in in a kind of epoch-defining game, if you like. And uh, and they are a few weeks away from pulling this one off. And it would be a stunning achievement to go back to back here. Um, I think we can all see an Australia-England final uh, in 20 over cricket. Anything can happen, but. Uh, they are doing great things, these these girls, and they retain a kind of delightful, unspoiled exuberance that you don't always get with the male players. There's no sense of birthright uh, airs around the girls. You know, you don't you don't become a, girl, a female cricketer to make money or to become famous. Certainly not ten years ago when these girls were first falling in love with the game. And that kind of essential innocence, if, if you like without wanting to sound too twee, uh, really does still come across, you know, and we've got to cherish them uh, and we've got to back them as long and as far as they can possibly go. So anyway, that magazine comes out in a few days, next week. Uh, you can pick it up through all the, the standard channels, wisdom.com, etc., etc., etc. Okay then, folks, um, 20 words or less, Yaz and Ben, what you're looking forward to for next week on Planet Cricket. 
a full 100 over ODI between England and Sri Lanka. No range Sri Lanka, I like it. Ben? Britney saw smashing 150 for Mumbai in the Vijay Hazare Trophy final. Yeah, what a player, what a kid he is, 18 years young. Um, spoken about in the magazine as well, written about beautifully by Sirish Menon. Uh, it's a good way to finish, fellas. Um, here's hoping for a, for a dry game in Sri Lanka. Uh, and onwards and onwards. Cheers, folks. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.